The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1123. Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer.
Hurry before they're all gone. All right, another film study. This is the Better Late Than Never edition of Know Your Foe because we try not to come out this late, but it had to happen this week. So hopefully this is a nice surprise for you as you're leaving your office to end, wind down the week. You get to look and think about Sunday and the Houston, Texas. A little advice as you prepare this weekend. We talked about odds on the last episode and all that stuff. So why not bring in a sponsor that covers all of that? So if you want to bet on some games this weekend, check out mybookie.com. You can click on the banners over on filmstudybaltimore.com or just go to mybookie.com and use the promo code Film study when you go over there. Uh, I got a chance to play with it this week. I did well on Monday night against the Seahawks. Won a little bit of money, but then I lost a little bit of money on the Cleveland and uh, Pittsburgh Thursday night game. I will be trying my hand at it again this Sunday, taking the Ravens and giving up the four points, I believe, is what the Ravens are at this point. But either way, you know that line is always adjusting. Go check it out, mybookie.com. Use the promo code FILMSTUDY. Now we're going to get Ken on the phone. We're going to get Rivers McCown on the phone. Rivers McCown is a film study analyst for the Houston Texans. He covers them each week. You know how this goes. We're going to break down. We're going to learn a lot about the Texans. Ken doesn't like to ask guys to make predictions, but I'll give you a little clue. If you go to RiversMcCown.com, he makes his predictions for Sunday right there, and it's already up. So check that out. Let me get Ken on the phone. Let me get Rivers on the phone. Enjoy this episode of Film Study. Another episode of Film Study here. This is a Know Your Foe episode. And we're joined today by Rivers McCown, who's a Houston Texans fan and analyst and is going to take us through some of the strengths and weaknesses of his team. Rivers, how you doing? Doing well, doing well. All right, outstanding. Tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, where do you where do you write or, or otherwise podcast uh Tell us who you are. Sure. I came up with Football Outsiders, which is kind of the premier analytical statistic website for football. Um, <laughs> I, I have had a strange kind of career where I've kind of bounced around a lot. Uh, I finally caught on as a Texans film guy for The Athletic last year and uh, been doing it on my own this year on RiversMcCowan.com. Okay. Outstanding. So I'm a big fan of Football Outsiders. We talk about that all the time on the show. So uh, great stuff, and uh, that's a that's a good gig to get with the athletic. I'm uh, I'm jealous, buddy. So congratulations. <laughs> well, I, don't have, I don't have it anymore. <laughs> Ruined that already. But All right. well, I'm in the same spot as you. Was starting my own website this year after 12 years of doing writing. Okay. So anyway, I want to talk about the about the uh, the offense uh, in particular. Start with that. Uh, Deshaun Watson's been fantastic this year, but tell me a little bit about him and and what you've seen from him. Sure. So a lot of the Texans offense has changed over the course of this season. Uh, and, and I think since 2017, really, it's been kind of uh, up and down, up and down, up and down, where Bill O'Brien started out giving Deshaun Watson a lot of read option stuff, a lot of uh, read pass option stuff, and, and kind of, you know, set it up to be as much like Clemson as possible. Uh, 2018 was a year where actually, instead of that, we went to this kind of pro-style offense where Deshaun Watson was asked to drop back a lot. And... Uh, make deep, deep throws. Uh, Bill O'Brien prefers deeper route concepts. And uh, over the course of the season, we found out that that means he gets sacked a ton. A ton, it turns out. 
And 2019, they kind of started with that uh, philosophy. And then after the Panthers game where Watson was sacked a lot and, uh, you know, they score, I think it was 10 points. Uh, they kind of went and retooled that offense for uh, the Falcons game, brought in a lot more of the RPO stuff, a lot more of the read option stuff, and uh, involved kind of the satellite action with Kiki Cutie. And they scored 53 points. And they, in doing so, they kind of shortened a lot of the field. Um, they don't throw as many deep, as many deep passes anymore. And uh, the offense has changed, I think, in a more, uh, a less, a less deadly, more interesting way right now. Okay. Uh, now, now Des- you mentioned some growing up out of Deshaun. How much are you noticing in terms of similarities uh, in the in the read option uh, that the Texans use to what the Ravens are doing with Jackson? It's not quite as complex as that. I, I think uh, the read option that Deshaun typically does, and this has been a, like a three-week or so thing, uh, they'll, they'll do the tight end drag where the tight end kind of rolls with them. Uh, they have some plays off of that. Some of them they've hit, some of them they haven't. Uh, they had one last week, not last week, uh, the the London game, sorry. I forgot that we had a bye. <laughs> Uh, they had one. They had one in that London game where Stephen Mitchell kind of uh, almost wheeled out from that uh, motion and was wide open, but they they did not hit him because uh, he stopped his feet. <laughs> but okay. uh, they have a lot of interesting sort of wrinkles off of that, and a lot of it I think is based on typical levels concept stuff. So a lot of it you'll see when Deshaun rolls and uh, looks to pass, there'll be about two or three guys in that area. Now, uh, what I am noticing is that the the fall off in rushing yards from last year to this year uh, is not terribly significant. He's still got 52 for 279 this year, so still running a fair amount. Couple carries over 10, a couple games over 10 carries or at 10 carries, I should say. Uh, are they willing to expose him more as the season goes on to more of this? You, you mentioned going to read option more. That obviously means that the quarterback is going to run some. Uh, tell us about how you see that evolving during the season. Well, I think they made kind of a conscious decision where they decided that Watson was getting hit too much in the pocket anyway. So it turns out that the read option has actually protected him a lot from quarterback hits. I think he's had like in his first four games, it was like 40 something, 43. And since that, it's been, you know, maybe like 20, 30. So, I mean, it actually has kept him a lot more clean uh, as a general concept. And then I think, yeah, they are willing to run him. Uh, Watson is, I would say, uneven at that. Like he doesn't always pick, pick and choose the right, re- the right option, but he's pretty good. And, uh, of course, as long as somebody is committed to stopping him, that makes that kind of uh, lets Carlos Hyde do his thing between the tackles, and he's been really good at that this year. Oh, this should be a pretty cool game in terms of read option because these these defenses have both seen plenty of read option in practice. Yeah, um, I don't think the Texans do quite as complicated as, as the Ravens are in that, in that field. I think a lot of what they do is – it's kind of based on the same two or three concepts. Like I think, I think Greg Roman's playbook is a lot, lot bigger than Bill O'Brien's is. So that's, that's one big difference between the two teams. And obviously I think it's, it would be ridiculous to say that Watson is on par with, with, with Lamar as a runner. Cause Lamar just has that gear that frankly, very few people do have. 
All right, fair enough. As a passer, we didn't have him talk too much about Watson. Obviously, he's got a fairly good set of weapons with Fuller, whose status I'm not sure of for this game right now. And, of course, DeAndre Hopkins is one of the best in the league. Tell us a little bit about Watson, the passer, and how eager he is to push the ball down the field to a wide receiver as opposed to using his running backs and tight ends. You know, he's actually – over over the last couple of weeks, he's been a lot better about just taking what's given – um, I, I would say that Duke Johnson has become kind of the preeminent weapon for this offense over the past couple of games that they played. Uh, just out of the backfield, just do on screens. Um, you know, he's been really important for this team, and, and Hopkins has been relegated to you know as you as you can see from the uh, read option stuff. He's been more of an underneath guy than he was last year when he was doing more. Uh, deep digs, uh, deep ends, uh, slants. He still has the occasional slant, but not quite as often anymore. And and yeah, I think I think Deshaun has grown a lot as a passer. But uh, you know he's he, he's deadly over the middle of the field. That's where you don't want him to throw it. Okay, so a lot between the numbers, or or is he still an outside the numbers guy as well who can hurt you there? I think outside of the numbers, outside of like screens. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, because we've heard we heard a lot coming out about Watson, about his arm strength and about how he doesn't have the best ball. Doesn't really show up very often on the NFL tape. But when it does show up, it's usually throwing outside the numbers quick, like uh, the quick, uh, quick outs or something like that. All right. All right. Now, going uh, going back to Hopkins for a second, I noticed he's had looks like 48 targets the last four games and over 10 targets per game for the year now. So how much is the offense solely relying on him? And you mentioned you mentioned Johnson, and he's he's certainly had some yardage the last four games. He's been, been obviously an important factor, but still only about 140 yards in the last four games while they've got more than 300 out of Hopkins in the same period. Yeah, so RPO-wise, um, they do a lot there, obviously. But um, when they go empty, and they go empty fairly often, that is kind of your bad signal that DeAndre Hopkins is about to get involved. Um, they like to get him in, in the slot in, in empty formations, and they like to kind of see how the linebackers and safety up there. And and from there, they usually are able to get Hopkins not double teamed because some teams have doubled him and bring him over the middle, uh, get that slant, get that uh, deep in route or whatever. All right, that's interesting because the, the Ravens have do not have a real slot corner at this point, which is one of their big weaknesses. But they have been following the team, the other team's number one receiver, which is something the Ravens never did in the past, uh, with with Humphrey. And Humphrey is as effectively taken over a slot role because the team's slot receiver is often the guy that, that other teams are trying to match up, of course, from the slot against you. And so, you know, he's been following Tyler Boyd and and other top receivers, Lockett, uh, the last few weeks uh, from the slot. So I would expect that to continue in this game against Hopkins. This should be a great matchup uh, matchup to watch there, as particularly as you're describing it. Yeah, I noted that in my uh, preview of this game from the from the numbers for sure. And I was looking at uh, Humphrey, and it's kind of interesting. He hasn't had, um, he has, I guess, purely by the numbers, he has not had like a great season. I'm sure the film is better than, than the numbers are. Uh, but I, I do think that he is one of those corners that actually has the power to kind of match up with Hopkins. 
Um, and I do think that's a better matchup than throwing your tip, your typical slot corner out there and saying, well, you know, you're you're really agile. Just keep up with this guy because yeah. they can keep up with him fine. That's not the problem. The problem is he's got a catch radius that's ridiculous, and anybody who kind of comes in contact with him is uh, <laughs> not going to win. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they'll go to him a lot. Uh, Humphrey is really being disadvantaged by putting in the slot. Uh, he's, a, he's a great outside corner. He has a baseball bat for a right hand, which is what you may be believing. I mean, his right arm uh, is a PD machine. And, and he goes for the strip as opposed to going for the ball an awful lot. Whereas Marcus Peters always goes for the ball. He's, he's looking to get an interception on, on just about every single play. So it's it'll be interesting to see what Humphrey uh, what Humphrey does against Watson. Uh, honestly, in my belief, Humphrey is is probably a borderline or dark horse DPOY candidate given his season so far. Uh, it doesn't really show up as you mentioned in terms of the uh, the statistics because they're throwing at him a lot. But he's had two fumble returns for touchdowns. He's been forcing fumbles, including one that won the Pittsburgh game. So he's been really Johnny on the spot for this team in, a, in addition to his couple of picks. And, and uh, you know, anyway, he's he's the Ravens' best corner, even with the acquisition of Marcus Peters. Yeah, totally. I can totally buy that. I know that, uh, what was it, Brandon Thorne. I don't know if anybody knows him on this podcast. Sure, but we've had him on before. Big OL guy. Uh, he did that thing, the, that little, uh, what is it, the, the, you know, you put something on twitter it's a meme and it's because like you know if you pick one all pro one pro bowl and two guys who never made it and uh, humphrey was one i picked on that because i mean he's been amazing for his entire career and kind of doing the ravens chapter for football outsiders last year uh that was that was a big point of contention for for me as for a while i was like well this team this team can definitely overperform expectations yeah, that's uh, that's cool. I would uh, I'll need to read that. Please send me a link on that. I, and he won the defensive MVP. Sorry, he won the team MVP award as a corner, playing only about 64 percent of the snaps last year, which is just, you know, how can that even happen? Because teams don't rotate corners like that normally. And he really wasn't hurt a whole lot. It's just a matter of the Ravens, you know, because they had four corners, we're, we're doing a lot of this uh, rotating through them in, a, in an odd way that had Humphrey off the field a fair amount. So. Uh, it was it was a it was a very odd year in 2018, but a great year for the defense. All right, let's keep let's get back to the Texans though, because because our fans really want to be introduced to them and take us through the offensive line, if you would, Rivers, and and the current state of that, just one position at a time. We have a lot of offensive line fans, by the way, on my show because I do offensive line scoring. Sure. Well, um, obviously the big trade was for Laramie Tunsil, uh, so all the first round picks are bundled up inside of his. Um, his, his pads. Uh, he's been very good this year as a pass protector. Uh, he did miss last game uh, in Jacksonville. I think he's on the injury report again. So I'm not quite sure how that's going to play out on Sunday yet. Uh, Texans are very secretive about their injuries. And this is, I think, on, the, on their report as a shoulder. Uh, obviously, he's been really good. Um, he doesn't have, I mean, he has like ridiculous amounts of talent. He doesn't always play up to it. Uh, I would say, especially as a run blocker, but but as a pass protector, he's he's been incredible. Um, left guard, you got Max Sharping. Uh, Sharping is, uh, I would say that he's very physical. He plays well past the whistle. <laughs> he, he he's a he's the kind of guy who wants to block three people on one play, and it doesn't always work out for him. But uh, he he does he is converting from tackle to guard this year. And because the Texans kind of did this thing in camp where they gave everybody a lot of reps at every position when they're young, uh, Sharping has had some plays where he has like shown 
tackle protection trades playing guard, which has been very weird to watch. <laughs> Uh, he's got he likes power. to keep his opponent at arm's length then, or what are you noticing in that? Uh, yeah, he and and then he'll sl- he'll slide back sometimes too, mm-hmm. and it's just it's just funny to watch. But yeah, he's he's got good power. He's got you know solid speed. I think for a guard, he's he's got the tools to be kind of a Pro Bowl guy, but he's still learning. I mean, he's he's still very raw. Uh, Nick Martin has had some good plays this year at center. Hasn't always been good. Didn't, I didn't really think he earned his his big contract before the season, but I mean he's been he's been solid this year. He's shown some really heady plays where he actually will realize he's blocking nobody and then like go pick up somebody coming at Deshaun Watson's left or right. So I mean that's been really nice to see. Uh, not a good power guy. Uh, you got somebody who can really you know push him back. Uh, he gets flustered easy. Uh, last year when I was doing him for the athletic. Uh, had a lot of problems with combo blocks. This year has been a lot better. Mm-hmm. Right guard, we got uh, Zach Fulton, uh, former free agent. I would say that he's kind of disappointed on his contract. He hasn't. He's probably the weak link on this line as it stands. Uh, he's kind of a good phone move player, but not really very agile. And, and so if you got somebody who can swipe past him to the left or right, um, spin him. Like he's he's not great at picking up those moves. Uh, Better pat, better in run blocking than pass protection. And for, that's and, for Fulton. That's for Fulton. You're saying? Yeah. Better run blocker. Okay. Yeah. And at right tackle, you've got uh, Titus Howard, the rookie out of uh, Alabama, not the real Alabama, of course, <laughs> Alabama State. Yes. Uh, and uh, he's been he, he's had some plays this year where he's really dominated. Um, he's also had a lot of mis miscues. Uh, he's been really poor climbing to the second level. Uh, when he when he tries to get up to somebody, you know, get up to a linebacker, he sometimes will just lose sight of who he's going after, and that will create a negative play. Okay, uh, I, I just want to make a point about that because I score offensive line play. Yeah. Expectations of what right tackles can do, particularly big guys who you want a power guy often on the right if you're a right-handed power running team. So are the Texans that for starters? Uh, they, they actually run more zone than power, but yeah, okay. yeah, they, they do run some power. So if if they run power, are they running to the right? Is the is the is the general question? So do they do they does the guard pull from left to right more, or from right to left more? I would say that the guard pulls right to left more. Okay, huh? All right. So right tackles are 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 known for their lack of agility, and the only thing I want out of my right tackle, and this is Orlando Brown has this, is to go up that half level to catch the scraping linebacker and to be able to make his kickout block at the line of scrimmage. Anything you get in terms of level two, complete gravy, at least as far as I look at it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean that's fair too. I'm just saying. I think watching watching uh, Titus this year, he 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 shows a notable. He he's got the speed. <laughs> he 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 definitely gets up to people, but he notably loses track of where they are. Huh. And I think he's made, he's this is something that's popped up even in his preseason tape. Which again, like uh, like Sharping, he's been asked to play inside guard. He started a guard the first the first two games I think this season, and then transferred over to tackle. So it's it's been one of those things where he's kind of got all the technique kind of in his head right now. Uh, he definitely has the talent to be a top tier tackle, just hasn't really put it all together yet. All right. All right, outstanding. So that's a that's a great run through that. Let's go through some of the skill position players then, and and uh, start wherever you like. Wide receiver, running back, tight end, wherever you're most comfortable. Sure. Um, I mean, I said it earlier. Carlos Hyde has been a real revelation for this team. 
Um, last year, a lot of inside zone was run, and the Texans had Lamar Miller, who I think is better on the outside. And they had Alfred Blue, who I think is better on somebody's IR or practice squad. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, he doesn't know where he's going. Uh, Carlos Hyde has been really, really good at that this year. He's been real professional. Um, I think he's got a, he's, he's glanced off a lot of arm tackles. I mean, he's really shown his power. And for a guy with his speed, I mean, he's made a few mistakes this year. He's been a little bit fumble prone. But other than that, I think he's really demonstrate a lot of value to the Texans. Yeah, no doubt about it. He's one of the players and looking at film coming into this game that I would be really fearful about the loss of Michael Pierce and how that might affect him. One one thing that gets me about Hyde is, is he a three down back? Because he's one of these guys that um, he should be a better pass blocker than he has been in his career based on his size alone. Yeah, I wouldn't call him a three-down back for sure. I think he definitely, and on this team especially with Duke Johnson, because Duke Johnson kind of has skills that are very rare for a third-down back. But uh, I think Hyde could do it. He, his his kind of on-the-cuff receiving is, is pretty poor. I think he dropped one last week that he probably should have had down the field. Uh, pass blocking-wise, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's hit or miss with that too. All right. All right. So tight ends, wide receivers. Uh, we talked about Duke briefly, but just, just to emphasize again, I mean, like this guy is making everybody miss in space. Um, the reason he doesn't get used as much is because when the Texans run, um, he doesn't read his blocks as well as Carlos Hyde does. He just doesn't. And, and I mean, he, he's taken a lot of hits behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, he can get thrown off his base a little bit easier if you arm tackle him. And that's really shown up in – kind of his statistics between the tackles. All right. Uh, I noticed his his catch rate is not that great for a for a running back. I expect running backs to be, you know, 80% or maybe a little higher in terms of catch rate, higher than that even if they're if they're truly exceptional at it. Is he running more routes that are down the field? He has run a couple of routes down the field, yeah. Um, the Texans don't really have I wouldn't say that they go out of their way to feature him, put it that way. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't they don't run dagger route to him or anything like that. They don't run quick ends. Uh, they run a few screens. They have one. They have run exactly one wheel. <laughs> okay. Huh. That's, that's, that's fascinating because he's got 10 yards, of, 10 yards of catch, and that typically will mean either the guy's an unbelievable yak guy because that's like a Ray Rice yak number there if he's catching the ball at the line of scrimmage. Um, or, or he's uh, – Catching some routes where he has an opportunity in space, uh, probably between levels two and three, which a lot of backs don't ever get those opportunities. Yeah, um, I think the best way to demonstrate how good he was was probably on in the in the New Orleans game to open the season on Monday night. Uh, he caught a ball. I want to say it was like a yard outside the line of scrimmage on third and ten, and he juke past two guys to get the first down. Like he he's just really slippery in space and. I'm not sure what broken tackle numbers uh, people use these days because it seems like there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. But this guy piles them up. He's very hard to tackle. Yeah, I, there there are big differences, by the way, between say the PFF and the and the Pro Football Reference broken tackle numbers that they've just started introducing. So a lot of times I I just don't know who to believe. You really need to look for yourself. It's kind of like quarterback hits in the old days and how 
differently they were recorded by people at the game and you just watching the tape yourself because they weren't official stats and so they got them wrong a lot and then they didn't correct them because they weren't official. Yeah, as an analytical guy, obviously you can tell that this irks me, especially because you know we cite all these stats all the time. Yeah, and it's really interesting to do so. But if you don't watch the play, you don't have the full picture of what's happened. Uh, people's concepts of what demonstrates a missed tackle are completely different across the board. And yes, weird, weird tangent, I know, but man, <laughs> nothing seems to me more than just being like, oh well. Duke Johnson only has three broken tackles this year, but you're saying he does, he's just very slippery. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, actually watch the games, please. <laughs> yeah, it's tangential. It's just, there's, uh, yeah, these tangential stories are great, by the way. Don't hold back, Rivers. We got all the time. It's, there's no limit in terms of time on the show like there would be if you were doing a radio segment. So that's, that's we love hearing this kind of stuff. But the other, th- the other one that really gets me is when you talk about uh, sacks allowed or quarterback hits allowed or, or, or rushing outs, there's never a partial allocation of those things. And I would say on 90%, maybe it's 85% of NFL sacks, for example, there are multiple things happen happening that cause that to happen. So it's usually some combination of maybe an outside pass rusher and he's the one who gets the sack, but there's also a phone boothing in the pocket from the inside that is is partially you know to do with that. And then, you know, there are services out there who remain nameless, cough, PFF cough, that, that don't want to allocate that if it's a 50-50 sack situation. So you end up with a lot less sacks in total allocated to the offensive line uh, than you otherwise would. Occasionally, they'll give, they'll give two on one play, but it's much more common they'll give zero on one play. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, and I, I know I'm kind of jumping ahead here a little bit, so I'm sorry just to, to rush into this. No, but, no, uh, please, whatever you whatever. But Whitney Merciless this year started off with, you know, five sacks in four games, and everybody was very convinced that Whitney Merciless was, you know, the real Jadavian Clowney replacement. He's so good. Oh, he's got all these forced fumbles. Look at what that looks like in the box score. But uh, a lot of his sacks came because DJ Reader was pushing that pocket so far back that the quarterback backtracked. And there's one in particular against Carolina where uh, Greg Little's left tackle. And people were like, oh, well, Greg Little, just a rookie, getting abused by this Whitney Merciless. Well, actually, what happened was uh, Kyle Allen backed way past uh, Greg Little's field. And then Whitney Merciless went right by, you know, Greg Little's what should have been a step-up situation because DJ Reader forced uh, Allen back. We haven't seen a lot from uh, Whitney Merciless in about the last five or six games. Do uh, you want to comment on that? Yeah, we really haven't, have we? It's almost like that. all that production was kind of a mirage. Uh, Winnie Merciless over his career has been, I would say, wildly inconsistent. And I think he kind of thrives in situations, especially against the, the Jaguars and Titans over the years, where he's got kind of poor quality left tackles to deal with, poor quality right tackles to deal with, depending on where he lines up. Uh, most of the time it's left. But either either way, I think he's... He's really thrived on, on those situations. Um, obviously, it was really against the uh, the Jaguars this year where they had uh, Will Richardson at left tackle. Uh, <laughs> that is just, just not a guy who's going to win one-on-one very often against a true, solid, average tackle. All right. Okay, outstanding. So we, uh, we did jump ahead a little bit there. You always love to do that. But is there anybody else on offense you'd like to talk about a little bit? Because I saw some concept questions here. Uh, we didn't really go through the wide receivers yet. We haven't talked at all about the tight ends. Sure. Okay, so wide receivers. Um, talked about Hop a little bit already. 
Um, Will Fuller obviously had the great game against Atlanta. Um, incredible speed receiver. Um, <laughs> followed that up in Kansas City by dropping probably three touchdowns. I know that the definition of a drop varies place by place, but you know, the the, the balls were were on him to some extent. So he's had an interesting season where he's been hurt. Um, he's had an interesting career where he's been hurt. Uh, I'm not sure if he's going to play or not, but when he does play, he he kind of forces defenses to shift safeties toward him. He's been really good, um, not just running deep routes, but sort of, sort of posts. I think posts is probably his best route. Um, and then he follows that up, obviously, like all speed merchants do where you, you sell that threat and then do a low curl. And he's been pretty good at that as well. Okay. All right. So you notice he has been inactive the last two games. I guess he got hurt against Indianapolis where he only had one target. What was the nature of the injury? Uh, hamstring. Yeah. Okay. All so right. uh, he, he, he played, I think, eight snaps on that first power, something like that, and then immediately replaced. <laughs> Texans okay. have had a lot of hamstring injuries this year, by the way. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's terrible. I mean, knee injuries are worse, but hamstring injuries those linger and linger and linger, don't they? So speaking of hamstring injuries, uh, Kenny Stills uh, went down. I want to say against Atlanta with one two. Um, first couple of games, he was. I want. I want to say he caught like one deep ball every game on that one. I mean, he's been. He's obviously been as expected. Uh, one of the preeminent deep threats of our time. Uh, very good on posts, very good on just pure go routes, uh, back shoulder balls. Um, he's been really good this year when he's been healthy. Uh, obviously, the last couple of games, the Texans haven't really been doing as much deep, so he's been less of a factor. Um, was he a separate part of, of an, uh, was he a separate trade with Miami, or was he included in the Tunsil trade? He was included in the Tunsil trade. Okay. All right. So part of the value there. What, what I, I do have to ask you at some point, Bill O'Brien has done some things in terms of trades this year that really seem like they're giving up a lot of value to win right now. Where, where do you stand as a fan trying to, or an analyst for that matter, trying to uh, make sense of that? So I think a lot of what he was trying to fix with the slayer, he talked to him especially, was he wanted Watson to be able to run his ideal offense, which for the most part, is a lot of deep drops, a lot of long balls, um, things that take time. And, and it was something that with Julian Davenport last year that the Texans really didn't have. They didn't have the option to do that very much. Um, Bill O'Brien doesn't like to do play action as much as most coaches. And so I think what he did was he made a trade to fit his perceived value of what he needed to run his offense. And four weeks in the season, he kind of figured out, Oh God, my offense is a mess. <laughs> uh, so it's interesting to have given up so much to learn that. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think that history will look kindly on the Laramie Tunsil trade. And I think especially because the Texans are going to have to pay him this off season, uh, it will continue to look very bad and be kind of a festering wound in this franchise. But I also like, at least he learned from it, right? <laughs> like as a fan, you got to be like, okay, well, I mean, it was it was awful, but at least we learned that uh, that Laramie Tunsil isn't the thing that's going to keep Deshaun Watson from getting sacked. It's the offense. There you go. 
All right. Well, outstanding. I mean, they'll forgive him to a certain degree if Tunsil makes you whatever your equivalent of the Ring of Honor is. The Texans have a Ring of Honor or a Hall of Heroes or what do they have? They have the Ring of Honor, yeah. It has two people on it right now, Andre Johnson and Bob McNair. <laughs> okay. Very good. So anyway, well, they're due for certainly some additional players. They've been having been a, a good team for a, a fair number of years now. And obviously, J.J. Watt's in the wings right now, you know, getting getting fitted for whatever he gets. Uh, but I, I would think that Laramie Tunsil, if he lasts this entire next contract, would be the kind of player who who might be deserving of that honor, at least looking at how the Ravens have given it out over the years. So uh, hopefully it works out for them in that in that perspective. You know, we, we have Ronnie Stanley and I think it's Baldinger, but I might be wrong. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's uh, it's the other guy, uh, former offensive lineman who was on Sirius. Do you know who I'm talking about? He's, uh, uh, Ross Tucker. Yeah, Ross Tucker. He 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 loves Tunsil and and says he's far better than Stanley. And and we have, you know we obviously have a problem with that in Baltimore. We, Ronnie Stanley's been very consistent, and very good, and and at worst, I think that Tunsil and Stanley are probably neck and neck as left tackles at this point in their careers. Where would you fit in in that argument? Mm. You know, I don't think I've watched enough Ronnie Stanley's early years to really say with a high degree of confidence who was better. I think that Larry Tunsil is a better pass blocker, and I think that Ronnie Stanley is a better run blocker. <laughs> I mean, that's okay. what it comes down to, right? Uh, it does, and and at left tackle, you certainly want a pass blocker over a run blocker. I, I'm not sure I would agree with that, and certainly in terms of consistency over the four years. But uh, but we can we'll, we can defer that to another time. This is really about the Texans, so let's uh, let's keep going with that. Uh, wide receivers, others that you want to talk about, or can we move on to tight ends? Um, I, let's talk a little bit more about wide receivers. So we've got uh, Kiki Cutie, who has been. This has been a very interesting part of Texans fandom lately. Uh, Cutie is a very fast receiver. Uh, comes into his debut against Indianapolis last year, catches ten balls right away. Kind of the the prototype slot guy. Uh, did not play at all against Oakland. Uh, did not play at all against Jacksonville. So the last two weeks they played, he he has zero snaps. Uh, the Texans appear to be kind of uh, carrot and sticking him a little bit about uh, practice habits and uh, running running the wrong routes on the field. Why activate so, him if you're going to do that? He was he was active. Did he play special teams or what did he do? No, no, he D, he DNP'd the end for both games. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if he's going to play or not. <laughs> it's kind of an open question at this point. They've said, you know, that he's made some progress or, or whatever. Uh, he's clearly talented enough to play. And him not being active the last couple of weeks has been a, a source of frustration and consternation for a lot of Texans fans. Oh, very cool. It's good to get the inside scoop on that. Uh, tight end, uh, Darren Fells. Let's talk about Darren Fells. A uh, uh, little one-year deal um, kind of brought in because the Texans had a lot of guys who uh, – rookies or youngsters at that position. And Fells has emerged as by far the best blocker, which – it's not a surprise because anybody who watched Texans last year could tell tell you that all of their tight ends could not block. So he's kind of earned Bill O'Brien's trust that way, become the number one tight end. Um, I would not say that uh, Darren Fells has <laughs> great hands. I would not say that Darren Fells is uh, a superb athlete or anything like that, but he has been very steady, and the Texans use him a lot on that tight end drag concept, so he's going to be kind of a key player for this matchup. And he's he is absolutely enormous. He's been around the league a little bit. Arizona, Detroit, Cleveland, Houston. 
but he's 6'7", 270. Have they found a way to make use of his size as a receiver, even maybe if he doesn't have the great hands? Sure. And I mean, I mean, his hands aren't bad by any means. Just, you know, he he obviously wasn't uh, somebody's number one target for a long time for a reason. Um, he's got he's got a good catch radius. And I think we kind of saw that closing out the Oakland game that uh, they had kind of a key second, second and eight or whatever to to close that where Watson kind of scrambles to his left and uh, scrambles to his right. And that hit fells kind of like on the very edge of the turf. And he kind of scoops it, kind of snags it there. So, I mean, he's been really good for the Texans this year. He's not used in kind of a way that his height suggests. Like, he's not he's not winning uh, one-on-one balls or anything. He's just kind of the orbital player for all this, all, all this RPO trickery. Okay. All right. Outstanding. Uh, do the do the Texans boot much in their offensive? You mentioned Bill O'Brien doesn't really like play action, but they do any of this zone blocking to the left with a naked boot to the right to get Watson on the edge and then a receiver at three levels kind of thing. That's a concept we've seen in Baltimore for many years. You see that one very rarely. It is in the playbook. It's not something that he likes to do. Um, in general, when Watson play actions, he, he, he will be behind uh, six or seven blockers. They, they match protect a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, they try to get you downfield with the Yankee concepts or, or what have you. Uh, dagger, they run some dagger, but but yeah, they they don't really when they go play action, they try to hit the home run. Very good, very good. All right, anybody else to talk about? Well, I guess the the last player that we should talk about is Jordan Aikens, who is a very interesting background for for a tight end guy. Gets a, a third round pick, a huge player. Uh, came up originally with the Texas Rangers. He was a baseball prospect for a while. Uh, I think he was a pitcher, maybe an outfielder. But but either way, uh, that kind of fizzled out. Um, he decided to take up football, went back to college, I think, for UCF. Uh, big target. Um, really impressive after the catch, too. Uh, he makes some good plays. He, he's broken a lot of tackles this year. Uh, he's got, some, he's got some, some boost. Uh, not a great blocker at all. <laughs> so if you see him on the field, that's the guy you want to attack in that area. Um, not 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 a particularly good uh, base and kind of overextends a lot too. Have they asked him to pass block a lot in terms of your the max max protect you're describing? Yeah, he's been in that sometimes. Uh, he also has had some mistakes behind the line of scrimmage where he you know he, he doesn't really maneuver very well, <laughs> okay. and he he will run into his own lineman. <laughs> so. <laughs> He, he, he has not had a great blocking year, and that's not who he is. That's fine. But that, that, that's kind of the way that's sh- that's shaken out so far. Okay. Outstanding description, I think, of the offensive talent here. Let's move on to the defense here. We need to, we need to be cognizant of time, even though I don't want to you know, slow down or, or shorten a, a great episode like this. Please tell us about uh, what you can about the defense. And let's just go through level by level, starting with the defensive line and, uh, and ends. Okay. Well, uh Angelo Blackson and Brandon Dunn are, are your two ends at this point. Um, kind of standard run stuff guys. They don't really they don't really do a whole lot uh, in, in pass. Uh, DJ Reader has had an amazing season. Uh, probably the Texas most consistent pass rusher from from start to finish. Um, and you don't expect that out of a guy who weighs what he weighs. Uh, he really put on a kind of weight loss program this offseason. Has done a lot better. Has been a lot faster. Uh, he's in his contract here, so <laughs> he's going to get paid by somebody this offseason for sure. 
he's been he's been a real beast. Um, uh, as far as the other guys in that rotation, with JJ Watt now gone, uh, edges just kind of like merciless, uh, who we've talked about already. Uh, Brennan Scarlett has kind of emerged as kind of I would say they're 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 number two, and Scarlett is more of a, a do it all guy than an actual pass rusher. Um, Charles Amenahu is a rookie out of Texas who has been. I would say that he's been their most impactful pass rusher. He's gotten a couple of big forced fumbles, uh, including one against Patrick Mahomes. But uh, I don't think he plays very well outside. I don't think he has the speed for that. I think long term he's probably going to be a three-tech or somewhere in the system. And, uh, I mean, he's good hand play, uh, very solid run player, just not just not fast. Not fast. Let me, let me- let me go back for just a moment because I did want to comment on DJ Reader. Sure. Um, he's in his contract year, and so is Michael Pierce. And and those are two players who will probably set the market in terms of the defensive interior. Uh, any idea what Reader might go for? Uh, I do know, but he turned down a contract with the Texans already. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> I, I believe that uh, he will be looking for at least $15 million guaranteed, probably twenty. Okay, and that guaranteed money, an average annual value of what kind of number? Uh, somewhere around nine to eleven, probably. Okay, that's 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 actually quite manageable. If if Pierce were that inexpensive, I'd say pull the trigger on that. I'm. It seems like that's a that's a great option on a guy like Reader. Now he lists at three forty seven on the on the source I'm looking. What's uh, is is that weight still accurate? I don't think so. I think he's probably playing closer to three twenty right now. Although I don't, haven't put him on the scale myself. <laughs> okay, sure. And you also mentioned a man who uh, who lists at 280. Has he is he playing any heavier than that, or is he? And you're saying he projects as a as a three tech. Have they been using him more as a three or five, or only on pass rush downs, or wh- where have they been using him? He's been mostly a pass rush player this year. Um, I, I think that they would like to play him at end, but I don't think that they trust him in that set just yet. I think they might get forced to now because of Watt's injury, but uh, I, I think that he's still. You know, somebody they don't trust on rundowns quite enough to put them out there yet. All right. All right. Outstanding. Please continue. Uh, I mean, that pretty much wraps up a lot of the defensive line rotation. You've got Carlos Watkins, who's kind of just a guy. Uh, Joel Heap is in there now. Uh, Linebackers this year have been really incredible. Um, Zach Cunningham and Bernard McKinney. McKinney made Pro Bowl last year. Uh, I would say having a Pro Bowl season again this year. As kind of like the last line of defense, he's been he's been a really good tackler in kind of these you know on one situations where it's him it's him or a ten yard gain. I mean he's been he's been very impressive at cleaning that stuff up. Uh, he's been uh, he's I think they, I think I classify both of them as gap shooters first. Like they both mm-hmm. remember that first, but they're both very sound technical technical linebackers as well. Neither of them are very good at man. That's kind of the weakness of this of this unit. Um, if you can get McKinney going on a uh, a running back uh, like Justice Hill, I know has had some had has shown some flashes this year. Like I think you, you think if the, if the Ravens can get one of those guys out in space, that would be good for them. Um, both good zone coverage players, uh, downhill kind of thumpers. That's kind of the the, uh, the main tenet of a Romeo of a Romeo Cornell defense is just be downhill players. Uh, make sure you break on any ball that you can. Uh, and I, I would say that it's just more downhill than lateral. And if you can get to 
if you can get Cunningham or McKinney in space on like a inner, even a slant for a running back, that's where you can do damage to them. Okay, so in terms of the Ravens had tremendous problems at inside linebacker this year that they really had to go out to the street and replace and did a good job doing it. But the the problem they had mostly was that they had only downhill guys and fast downhill guys who could shoot gaps, but were a little bit small. What they didn't have any impact was as a play, any kind of play behind them. They had absolutely no impact, no idea looking at the potential route tree from the line of scrimmage where they might be facing. They bit too quickly on play action. McKinney and Cunningham, you know, obviously they're they're a little bit more seasoned in terms as players, but wh- where are they in terms of their ability to impact a play behind them? I think McKinney is really good at that. Like, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't want to overstate how good he is because I know that he has a real flaw with this man coverage thing. But, I mean, pretty much everything else you can ask for in a linebacker, he'll deliver that. Uh, Cunningham will still get lost from time to time. It's a lot rarer these days. But, uh, I mean, like coming out as a rookie, coming in second year, he, he, he was prone to that. All right. Okay, fantastic. Please continue. Uh, Dylan Cole will come in sometimes on pass downs. Uh, I wouldn't really call him a great cover player anymore. I think he's, when he got hurt in his rookie season, it really uh, limited his range a little bit. I don't think he's fully recovered from that. Uh, but, you know, solid, solid average uh, cover guy. Um, I guess that means we move on to corners and defensive backs, which let me get out the, the notepad on this one because the Texans have pretty much remade their entire secondary mm-hmm. <laughs> over the past five five weeks. Uh, Jonathan Joseph, obviously, is number one corner. Uh, Jim Harbaugh talked him up in his presser. Um, Joseph is a, a incredibly smart cornerback. Uh, still making top-notch reads at his point, um, but definitely a zone corner at this point. You do not want him in man-to-man down the field. Uh, speed has burned him a lot. Uh, a lot of T.Y. Hilton's uh, dunking on the Texans over the years has been on Jonathan Joseph. So if you can get him in a deep post or something like that on cover three, like he's he's not that player anymore. Still a very smart player, but not not top-of-the-line guy. Uh, then we got Garyon Conley, who is the player from the Raiders that the Texans traded a throw-out pick for or at the deadline. Uh, Conley is very physical. Uh, they asked him in, I think, his second presser here uh, if he played any uh, <laughs> if he played any press coverage, how he played press coverage, and he still, and he just said, "That's all I play." <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. I mean, he's 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 really obviously very physically talented at that. Uh, kind of kind of a new direction for this defense. Um, struggles a little bit more in zone coverage, and I think that's probably why the uh, Raiders let him go in the first place after what happened against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers that week. Okay, now with with Connolly, and first of all, let me ask you to check your microphone really quickly because we're getting some cut in and cut outs. But while I ask this question, maybe. So uh, Gary Conley uh, is a press corner on one side, presumably, and Jonathan Joseph on the other is, well, I don't know, maybe a zone corner. More. Does that work well together? Can you come up with defensive concepts where you're trying to disrupt one route and you want to play a different concept on the other side of the field? I would say that 
you can come up with them. <laughs> I don't know if the Texans have actually done it yet. And this is something where we have, you know, a sample size of two games, one of which Joseph wasn't even healthy for. So, <laughs> like I said, the, the Texas cornerback corpse has been just just a cycle of guys this year. And I think it's one of those units where five years down the road, people will be like, you remember when Cornell Armstrong got a couple snaps from the Texans? He'll <laughs> <laughs> be like, yeah, yeah. Remember when Sam Congato was the running back? Like like that sort of thing. <laughs> okay, got it. So Philip Gaines, Kayon Crossan, Lonnie Johnson, Cornell Armstrong, and Aaron Colvin. It definitely, definitely sounds like the 2007 Ravens in terms of having to bring in a bunch of street guys and a bunch of guys who were maybe not projected to get snaps at the beginning of the season to fill some holes. Yeah, the story, the story of that actually is that uh, they went into – the season with uh, Joseph uh, Bradley Roby and Aaron Colvin as the three corners uh, in the first game against the Saints Aaron Colvin for whatever reason uh, did not play the right technique in, in on a key down that let the Saints get the game winning field goal and uh, the Texans cut him right after the game even though he was owed you know still millions of dollars and like in the second year of a big contract so, I mean, Bill O'Brien has been pretty impulsive this year. <laughs> if he does not like you, if he does not, if he, if you were a past GM sort of thing for him, oh, he's, he's over it. He's over it fast. Uh, Aaron Colvin got cut right away. That put Lonnie Johnson into playing time. Johnson is a uh, rookie, second, second round pick out of uh, Kentucky. Um, very physical guy, much like uh, Gary Ann Conley. Uh, unlike Conley, not very good at the technique yet. Um, has had some issues. Probably his best game was, was against Kansas City. Uh, he was able to blanket Demarcus Robinson a couple of times. But there's not really tape of him really impressing against the big-time receiver yet. And coming off a concussion, too. So I'm not sure if uh, – like, I can't, I'm, I'm only guessing. I think that Johnson will probably be the third cornerback for this game. But I'm not positive. <laughs> All right, very good. How about uh, how about the safeties? Well, we've got Justin Reed. Justin Reed, uh, I would say having a down year of comparison to last season, but last season was also, you know, pretty incredible. Uh, Reed uh, has mostly been the deep safety this year, not in quite as much of a position to do to uh, to handle underneath stuff. Uh, last year they were kind of more interchangeable when Tyron Matthew was here. Um, this year, it's been more of a blanking on the name. <laughs> Tashawn Gibson has yeah. done more more tight end coverage. He's been the man guy, and he's done really well at that. Okay. So Tashawn Gibson, man coverage of the tight end. A team that has multiple tight ends like the Ravens, uh, and, and including often two on the same play that will be trying to find space. How do you deal with that, and do you, do the how do the Texans adjust their pass defense packages to personnel that the offense opposing offenses are playing? So, you know, they, so, don't, they don't really uh, adjust very much at all. Um, they play they play nickel predominantly. Huh. Um, they want McKinney and they want uh, Cunningham on the field. They're very wary. Uh, Romeo Cornell is a very run first kind of guy. He's very wary about vacating that. And even the couple plays this year where McKinney has been dragged out haven't ended very well for the Texans. The Saints did that a couple of times. So, very interesting. 
you're probably not going to see a lot of that. You're probably going to see you're probably going to see uh, Cunningham take your second tight end most of the time. I would I would feel like. Okay, I'm going to take a take a moment for a tangential story here because Dean Pease was defense coordinator for the Ravens for six seasons. During his first five seasons, the Ravens played only three percent in the dime or quarter package. They played nickel on on passing downs and and on all downs for that matter, uh, pretty much all the time. So anyway, the the uh, one of the reasons that it was apparent that he didn't want to do that was the possibility of getting burned by having a team pick up six yards on third and seven, then be able to run for an easy first down against the dime with a quarterback sneak, which I think is completely allowing the cart to drive the horse or the, you know, the tail to wag the donkey or whatever it might be. Uh, The defense coordinators since and Pease in his final years finally embraced the dime and they found out they had the best dime in team history right on the team that wasn't costing them any real money. And and they've been very effective in the diamond <laughs> and quarter package since. So it's very interesting that the the the, the things defense coordinator has now. Cornell is an older guy, and I'm wondering if he also comes from that school where he's he's really afraid to get afraid to get his pants caught either on on it could be on a fourth short and fourth and short play, but it also could be a first and ten play. There's an over fear of giving up a big run. Yeah, that, that's definitely a predominant part of his thinking. Um, when they have done dime, I mean they don't. They don't ignore it entirely, but uh, Jaleel Odai is the kind of their third safety. I don't think they really trust him that much. He was kind of a street free agent pickup. Um, Mike Adams has been in, and Mike Adams has been in, you know, the NFL since like 2000. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, they they got some heady guys, but they're not really they're not really kind of a matchup team in that regard. Um, I don't think that uh, against the Ravens in particular with Jackson, I don't think you're going to see a lot of those guys. Yeah, that's this is amazing, Mike Adams. I didn't realize he was this old, but he must have played with Joe Flacco, or might have played with Joe Flacco at Delaware. I know Joe Flacco transferred, but Adams has been in the NFL since 2006. So I don't know. I don't even know if Flacco was at Delaware yet. You know, and Flacco was in the league beginning in 2008. So that's that's an old guy, almost 39 years old, or he will be 39 in March. Yeah, I can relate to Mike Adams a lot because uh, his first interview when they brought him in. Uh, he was talking about how he, he he didn't know the music in the locker room at all. <laughs> <laughs> and he was he was like, you know, if I listen to a little something, little little wheezy, little little whatever, I just want to listen to Jay Z. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, wow, we've come a long way. And also, I'm very old. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right, outstanding. So, anybody else on the defense or maybe defensive concepts you want to talk about? Uh, concepts. The Texans have had. I mean, I mean, it's it's a tale of two seasons again. I hate to, I hate to kind of play that card again, but I mean, against the the Chiefs, we saw a lot of man coverage, a lot of cover one, um, some cover three as a changeup. I mean, the, they were very aggressive in their coverage in that game. Generally, Cornell has been more of a quarters guy. He's done a lot of quarters over the past couple of seasons. Uh, cover two is also kind of a stable for this team. So it, it's it's been an interesting season in that regard as he kind of tries to work through what he has. Um, he's blitzed a ton more this year. I think the Texans were bottom bottom eight last year in blitz percentage. And this year it's top 10 and it's been as high as like top six. Mm-hmm. So uh, you'll see you'll see that happen, I think, less against the Ravens. I think they'll play, play it a little bit more passive because they're concerned about Jackson in open space, which, I mean, 
who wouldn't be. <laughs> uh, does that mean that they'll try and play more zone in particular and have eyes on the football as opposed to playing some man concepts and uh, you know doing those things? We have seen more of that from other teams playing Jackson. No, yeah, I believe you will see more zone coverage in this game for sure, and I think that will dictate you know who plays. Like I would, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think Bradley Roby is coming back, but I wouldn't be surprised if you saw um, Lonnie Johnson relegated to third corner because they don't really trust his own work quite yet. Um, and, and yeah, I think you'll see you'll see a lot of a, a lot of two deep against Jackson. I think they're going to try to make him beat them in the intermediate. And I know that's been statistically his weakest point this year. I don't know if it's been uh, the same on the eye test because I don't you know I don't watch all their games here or anything, but. Uh, I think that's kind of the strategy that we'll settle on. All right. Very good. So uh, Brown has been a big weapon in terms of his speed. And one thing that's nice about these zone coverage looks is he gets a free release from the line of scrimmage often. They can they can manufacture that with motion, but he's getting a lot of free releases in that. Uh, how do you see them dealing with him? Well, they don't really do a lot of... Um, cornerback follows so i don't think you'll see anything i don't think you'll see gary and Conley like latched on them or anything um i think it's pretty much as you as you stated it's going to be some free releases um they're going to be asking justin reed uh to play that a lot uh <laughs> you'll probably see uh lonnie johnson on him you'll probably see keon Crossan if johnson gets burned too much so i think that's probably been their, their clear fourth corner at this point and Crossan is is I think Crossan's a better fit in the slot, though I don't think he's uh, played up to it quite as much this year. All right, all right, very good. So let's let's just play a little game here. If you have one player, maybe one offense, one defense, who really matches up well against the Ravens, who would it be? <laughs> I don't know that anybody on this team matches up against the Ravens. Uh, the Ravens offensively right now, uh, like I, I'm very concerned about this game. I would say that McKinney is probably the player you need to worry about the most. Um, he's kind of the way this defense goes without J.J. Watt is that they've lost all their negative playability. So what what they're relying on is can they get you in third and seven? Can they get you in third and eight? And to, to the extent that uh, they can in this game, I think it's going to be about McKinney reading everything properly and just getting past somebody, getting a block and making it happen. You, you mentioned that, and I know you know this from your football outsiders background, just generally from your football knowledge by the way you talked about it, but I'm a big believer that defenses need to gamble to try and create negative plays, whether that's penalties, sacks, plays behind the line of scrimmage, uh, that you really can't beat four-down football without doing that, particularly with, with completion rates being what they are right now. But the Ravens in particular, very difficult team, and they, may, they play four-down football pretty much the entire game in terms of of being willing to go for it on fourth and two much more than other teams. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I know (laughs) it's, it's, it's no, it's interesting. I've had to try to to, to come to terms with my prediction on this game and, and, you know, while I'm doing it, I'm kind of imagining the grand pecking order of things. And, And, you know, you, you see a team go all in and trade, you know, what is it, two firsts, a second, a third, uh, no, two thirds because of Duke Johnson. Yeah, like like they went all out this season, and, and I don't think they have the same mindset that the Ravens have, and I don't know that they're on the same 
level almost and it's frustrating <laughs> it's frustrating but but yeah i do think that that uh, when he's very worried about an offense he tends to play more conservative and i i do i do think that that could bite them this game um the one thing i will say for sure that the ravens should exploit and i wanted to bring this up i even made sure to uh to pull up the page uh how familiar are you with uh, dvoa as a concept oh sure i am it's so, the DeVoe, so it's a it's a it's a success by play based system where you have defensive and offensive wins by play, and those are aggregated into the DeVoe statistic. Right. So um, over the short middle passes targeting the short middle, uh, the second worst team is the Cleveland Browns, and they have this coming into this week, and they had a thirty nine point five percent DVOA allowed. The Texans over the short middle have allowed an eighty five point three percent DVOA. Wow. Okay. So, so uh, negative numbers are good for defense. Just so, so the, the folks out there. By the way, visit Football Outsiders. Great site. Um, and and uh, negative. You, you want a negative number on your defense, but, but eighty-five point oh three or eighty-five got to be in a fairly small sample there. I would think. No, no, no. This is this is where the teams have killed the Texans. And since I think it was the Atlanta game, I charted this out. Uh, passes ten yards or under. It was something like thirty-eight of forty-one. For five touchdowns and one interception. Wow. So okay, I mean, so that's like almost a perfect passer rating there. With giving that one interception would would take it down. Yeah, it, it's been it's been a real travesty. Uh, and I think kind of the way to look at it is with the Texans defense. If you if you going straight up and down, they're usually okay. But when you when you start uh, slanting over the middle, uh, they lose responsibilities very quickly. I think that's something that Romeo Cornell's scheme, I would say, hasn't really kept up with as well as it could. Uh, and obviously, with training for all these players, communication is, is lacking a little bit. So, yeah, I think if there's if there's one spot that the Ravens can actually, you know, feast, it, it's it's run game and then mix in those short middle passes. Okay, that's that's very interesting. I I, I went on Houston radio when I talking about the ways that that I think the Texans have an advantage in this game. One is just coming off the bye week, which is yeah. enormous, and the Ravens have to play two of those. I expect the Texans to be much better than they have been in the first quarter and dominate the scripted play sequences because they've had two weeks to prepare and they know what the Ravens present defensively. They should have some good opportunities to, to, uh, to beat them, especially during that script and sequences. But more than that, they have an opportunity here to be fresher for longer, which is something almost no other teams have had a chance to do against the Ravens because they've been kept on the field. The, the, the Texans can keep up with the Ravens in terms of offensive production, keep the ball for longer with Carlos Hyde and, with their other run weapons. And if they do so, I, I, I think this is definitely uh, could be a game the Texans win. The betting public has certainly not given it to Baltimore. You know, a four-point favorite, you know, when three points yeah. of that is the home field advantage, says these teams are basically equal. Yeah, if I if I, uh, if I set myself up as a Bill O'Brien uh, cartographer for a second, um, a lot of the Chiefs game, um, he spent a lot of that weekend talking about how he knew that he was an underdog. And that he changed plays. Uh, Bill O'Brien is, as a head coach, his best strength is kind of after a loss. Uh, when he gets, when he gets like, okay, well, why did we lose this game? And as a head coach, he's he kind of keeps this very steady philosophy. Um, I'm not saying that he's not going to come prepared to Baltimore. I don't think that's the case. But I don't think that uh, I don't think you'll get like extreme schematic differences or anything like that. So. 
I think that that would concern me a lot as a Texans fan, just just as far as how they're going to do in this game. I do think that they have a chance to win. Um, I think that this is going to be. <laughs> it's it's funny because it's a quarterback. You know, the quarterback matchup is all that's been talked about all week. But I feel like this is going to be a run offense matchup, mm-hmm. and I think that both teams are going to try to uh, impose will and drain clock that way. And I think it could be lower scoring than expected because of that. All right, all right, very interesting. Well. Rivers can't say how much we've enjoyed this. I, I, I enjoy conversations with with Know Your Pro people to various degrees, but but you're one of my favorites. This was great, and there may be another chance to do this during the playoffs. I hope we can have you back then. Obviously, the Texans and the Ravens both have changed a lot as the season has gone on, and we'd love to hear how they changed before. What could be a divisional matchup, or it could be even later? Man, we, we should be so lucky. Yeah. <laughs> we should be so lucky. All right. All right. Well, fantastic. Where can they, where can folks find your work now again? Uh, probably the best place is my Twitter handle is at Rivers McCowan and that's M-C-C-O-W-N. Um, I post a lot of clips over the week. I do the film study stuff. I go to the press conferences and make sure that that gets covered. So if you see like an interesting quote or tidbit out there, um, if you saw earlier this year, the Deshaun Watson thing where he's talking about Carolina's defense and how they won like that was that came off my account so <laughs> you'll, you'll probably you'll probably um you probably see me from that but if you haven't that's where most of my stuff goes okay well make sure you give Rivers a follow and and it's always nice to have a broader set of follows of people who really know the individual teams around the NFL I highly recommend at Rivers McCown right that is correct and uh footballoutsiders.com obviously we plugged already but that's kind of been my main jam for Almost 10 years now. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for joining us, Rivers. Uh, Of course, this will all be up on Film Study Baltimore by the time you're listening to this. But please check out the other elements on Film Study Baltimore, including the offensive and defensive articles and the podcasts on the offensive and defensive review, which I think are good this week after the, uh, uh, the last win. Anyway, Rivers, again, thanks for joining us. Fantastic episode. Really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.